Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. So welcome, welcome, welcome to The Gathering Room. Um, Today, I put a rather brazen topic out there for y'all. It's called The Transformation of Consciousness is Now. Now, I really never talk about anything else besides the transformation of consciousness. I've been writing books for decades and it used to be between the lines, but now it's just the lines of everything I write are, yeah, it's about, there's going to be a transformation of consciousness. And I probably 90 times have quoted to you what I used to hear in my head whenever I, when I was a kid, and I mean a teenage sort of kid, wandering around going, and I'm sorry, trigger alert, but I was so depressed. I was like, why don't I just check out now? But I kept hearing that there was something going to happen that I wanted to be around for. I, I really wanted to be around for it. And I would say, but what is it? What is it? What is it? Why do I have this sense of purpose? Why do I have this sense of mission when there's no mission around? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Now, I suspect that a lot of you guys are here watching because of the very same thing, because around the middle of my teenage life, I started traveling to different like debate and drama meets all around the country. And I started to see other kids and sometimes adults that I thought, oh, he's one of them. She's one of us. Okay, we're okay. We're all here. We got the same mission. All right. But what? What the hell is it? And then I would hear in my head these lines from East Coker by uh, T.S. Eliot. I said to my soul, be still and wait without love, for it would be love of the wrong thing. And wait without hope, for it would be hope of the wrong thing. There is yet faith, but the love and the hope and the faith are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness the dancing. And that would come into my head and I would feel this relief. I don't, I can't know what's going to happen and what I'm going to be part of in my life because I am not ready to think about it. And then gradually, gradually, I started to realize, oh, it's a change in the way I think. So you can't grasp a new way of thinking with your present way of thinking. And I remember I started to sort of form it up in my head in my 20s. And then in my 30s, I went to um, speak at Deepak Chopra's uh, center in California. And they had me wait to go on stage in his little office. And on his desk was a document that he'd been he'd printed out. And I don't remember what it said, but my mind, I could not keep my eyes from straying to it. Sorry, Deepak. And it said something about um, the people listed in this document are all involved in the transformation of consciousness that is scheduled for this time in the history of earth. It wasn't, those aren't exact words, but I remember sitting there and staring at the page and going, they're even talking about it now. Like, I'm not just crazy. And by that time, people had started coming up to talk to me about what's what is going to happen. Just like, I don't know, six months ago, I met someone, I, I met up with someone online that I had not seen since childhood. And they were like, so since I've been waiting around for the thing, like the second, and I, I thought, oh God, they're Mormon. So like I wrote that, you mean the second coming of Jesus? And they're like, oh no, 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 the transformation of consciousness. And I was like, okay, they're in too. And I started doing a lot of coaching and people would say, I'm here for some reason and I don't know what, but they would, it would end up 
everybody seemed to have been there for the transformation of consciousness. And then I started coaching like CEOs of huge companies and people in upper echelons of government or the military even. I mean, people I would never have dreamed would be thinking about this. And they would be saying, okay, I got where I got so that I could do what I have to do for the thing. And I'd be like, what thing? And they'd say, I don't know. I thought you would know the thing. And I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, I kind of know only it's wait without thought. So I'd say, I said to my soul, be still, I wait without anything, wait with just stillness. And they would say, this is very difficult because now I'm in this position at this company or in the politics or in the whatever, or sometimes they were people who had no homes. They were people on the streets, but they were still thinking about it. And they'd say, the thing that was so interesting was it didn't matter if they were homeless or if they were the CEO of a world, a massive corporation, all of them would say, I feel kind of stuck <laughs> in the human structures of my life. Like, how am I going to, how am I supposed to do this? It feels so big and I don't know what it is. And I just know that I need to, I'm driven to find out about it. And the experiences that I've had to this point in my life are all a preparation for my role in this huge purpose. There was a point where I actually just rounded up like a half or a dozen people that I, who were clearly part of it. And we, we just said, we're going to make something called the purpose project. And we like just went places and did things hoping it would like drop in. So like we'd go to the wilderness and build a fire and wait, like, is it going to happen? We go to Africa and track animals. Is it happening? Is it happening? Now it felt like everybody was on the same track, but I thought, you know what? I need to let it go. I just need to let it go. Wait without thought. You're not ready for thought. I'm not ready for thought. Eh. So then this summer, as I have told you, I developed a Jesus foot in that I had surgery and they put a piece of metal in my foot and they just took it out. And, and now I have a stigmata in that foot and I have to get, do the other foot too. So I'm, I'm going to be halfway to the Jesus. Um, anyway, that's not, that is neither here nor there, but I, when I got the surgery and the pin in my foot and the bones were broken, my whole body sort of did what I think an animal's body does when it's badly injured. Like it has to pull its foot out of a trap or something because my whole metabolism slowed down and I stopped wanting to eat. And I thought I'd be so bored, cooped up, you know, lying. I had to keep, keep my foot up for six weeks and well, the first two weeks and then pretty much all the time still. But instead everything went quiet inside me. And I lying there on that bed, watching the seasons change from spring to full summer, now to late summer, it all seemed like one beautiful moment of time and I would pass the time by reading. And one of the things that I love to read are accounts of people's near-death experiences. I'm obsessed with them. Having once had an experience that was kind of like them. And they typically say, I died. Like those of you who watched Anita Morjani with me the other, like, was it last week or the week before? Anyway, she died of cancer, met her deceased father. He sent her back. She went off to do wonderful things. That's kind of the typical near-death experience until I hadn't read them recently, but there's always new when you go online, Google them, there are books, there are websites. And so I went out there while I was sitting waiting from a foot to heal. And I read the latest batch of fresh near-death experiences. 
And they said something that I had not seen before. And what they said, even children would say, okay, so I went through the tunnel, I saw the light, I, you know, different varieties of near-death experience, and I met the person or the angel or whatever. You generally meet something, something loving and all-knowing. And just in this batch, they said, I was sent back because the thing is happening, the thing I'm here to help do. Earth is ready for this. The human race is now ready for it to happen. And like I read different sources, you know, different books, different. And I thought, are these people talking to each other? But some of them were little kids and a lot of them seemed to be out in back. Like they weren't into this. They were like sportsmen and, and people who didn't think about spiritual things until they had these experiences. And I thought, holy crap, people are now being said, told, go back. It's happening. And so then I would put down my computer or my book or whatever, and I would just lie there. And the pin in my foot, you guys, it, it, it conducted electricity, cold and heat a lot better than my flesh and bone. So whenever there was like a surge of energy, the foot would go like an electrical storm in my foot. And I would sit there and think things. And depending on how strongly I was vibrating, I guess, my foot would go. So I had. I had a serious like weather vein of a foot, my spiritual weather vein of a wounded foot. And I thought, oh my goodness, I actually think it's underway. It's happening. And I thought about the way history is playing out and how we've been through, we went through this year of pandemic and then we were like, oh, we're going to come out of it. And then everybody's like, oh, maybe not. And right now, everyone I know, especially in regard to the pandemic is like, I have no idea. I like, that's how I feel. I'm, I'm making plans to travel next year. Will I be able to? I don't know. But here's the thing. Having been educated in Asian studies at one point, I was taught to believe that don't know mind is the ideal situation in which to experience a quantum leap forward in consciousness. If you know, if you think you know, you don't know. <laughs> There's too much going on in the universe for us these little human brains of ours to know anything really. We don't understand how our own feet work, let alone how the whole universe is going on. So um, don't know mind, which is where I find myself and where I think a lot of us find ourselves. It's like, what are we gonna do? Uh, not super sure. Um, and a lot of people like we just we we just had another lovely visit from Liz Gilbert and she was saying I just go 24 hours at a time now it's literally one day at a time get up get your marching orders and tomorrow we'll take thought for the things of itself and it feels to me like when I would coach these people who'd risen to high stature in the world and then they were saying and now I have to let go of it all I have to let go of the human structure I have to wake up as an individual in this place of authority in this place in the hierarchy so that I can change it all. And I'm not even sure what I'm doing. And I'd say, that's okay. Because here are some things that I believe, and I don't know any of it. But it's a lot clearer than it was when I was a teenager. First of all, they've found the markers for what look for awakening in the human brain. And it looks like this Jill Bolte Taylor came and, and talked to us about it. We're going to do another thing pretty soon. Um, it's about the centers of control and self regard 
going dormant in the brain, like the sense of a separate self and the sense of controlling your life just shuts down. And in their place, there's no fear, which is what makes you want to control everything and think of yourself as a separate thing. In its place is curiosity and a sense of connection with the entire universe. And they can find this in people's brains in a, in a, um, an fMRI, a functional scanner that shows the brain in action. So it is a real thing. When people are in it, they're guided by what the great enlightened thinkers of Asia or non-thinkers of Asia used to talk about. They're guided by the force of beneficence flowing through them at all times. And we've talked about this, you know, doing without doing and existing in a state of union and exquisite joy and bliss. It's been interesting because even though I've, I had physical pain this summer, I noticed how joyful I was at the same time I was in a lot of physical pain because I'd always, oh, there are probably limits, but I did not encounter them. I was in a state of continuous, extreme delight about the world. And as I talk to my friends and as I get emails from people around the world, here's what I, I notice now. People are having the last few hooks taken out of their minds. Like say they had just a little problem with being hung up on somebody who'd done them wrong. They're being sent to that person to say, I forgive you. Or uh, the person comes to them and says, I'm sorry, I was such a schmuck. And they say, ah, that's okay. And the hook is gone. Or they have one thing, they're sure they have to work hard. And then their firm closes because of the pandemic. And they're told, um, you know, you've got some money to live on, but right now, just be still, just be still. Like you've worked so hard. You got to get rid of the continuous overwork as a part of your psyche. People who have been driven their whole lives are now being sort of set free. And it, for me, it's like watching one of those airplanes where skydivers come out in a team and they've all been waiting in the airplane and now they're starting to jump, 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 one after the other. And you just see the airplane just disgorging one little human figure after another, just whew, here I am flying, right? It feels like it's happening right now. How long will it take? I have no idea. What will its consequences be? I have no idea. But as I was prepping for this, as we were getting the cameras set up, Ro, my partner in work and life and um, gracious badger of yore, she said, do you suppose the whole world is having a collective near-death experience right now? And I said that, you know, it may come to that. I don't think we're there quite yet. I think that things may have to get a little scarier, but I think that that's what it's going to look like. Every, every few days I get a little extra like centimeter of, I think I know what may happen. And then I have to let it go. But I think what may happen is as we go toward what looks like a certain doom, we will go into an experience we never expected where we are free from the sense of self and free to connect with the universe and free from, the, for example, the laws of gravity. My last book I wrote about Dante writing about his own experience in the divine comedy. When he gets to paradise, he just starts to float upward among beings of light. And I actually think he had a real experience similar to a near-death experience or he had his own near-death experience. So... I was talking about this to Rowan saying, what should I talk about on the gathering room? And she said, well, what about the transformation of consciousness is now? And I thought, 
I think I can finally say that. And it's true in two senses. And then I'm going to take questions. It's true in two senses because I think we've reached that historical point where people are being sent back from the other side of death, not just to finish their lives, but to do this thing for life itself all over the planet. And the other reason it's now is it is by God now. It is not in 10 minutes. It is not 10 minutes ago. It is not in 10 seconds. It is not 10 seconds ago. It is now. And then that's over. So now, now, now. And if you just try that as a meditation, I love that as a meditation, just say now, now, now. And don't let your attention go either to the right or to the left, neither to the past nor to the future, just now, 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 now. And when I do that, I don't know what will happen for you, but what it feels like is that I'm slowly sort of levitating and I get this intense experience of bliss and joy and connection. And I feel like liftoff, you know, I feel like it's happening now. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. So with that little pin to what I think may be happening, but I don't know, I want to read some of your questions. This one's from Melanie. She says, I've been preparing for the thing all my life. And now what do we do that we've been waiting to do? Just do the next thing. All right, I'm going to tell you what I think. I wasn't going to tell you this, but Melanie asked. <sighs> you know how a lot of us are highly sensitive people and we empathize deeply with any being who's in pain and not even especially humans, but also animals and plankton, for God's sake. I feel bad for plankton. Um, the fact that we are emotionally connected over so many species boundaries and even like I feel connected to plants. Humans have this ability to connect with and care about so many things that aren't just ourselves. If we're not too self-obsessed, we can start loving so many things. And immediately, like the Buddha leaving the castle, the castle and going out among the beggars, we see pain and it shocks and horrifies us. And we feel as if we're the ones suffering. I cannot watch a lot of things about, you know, what's happening to the wildlife and what I've tried. I'm aware. I know it's happening, but I can't really focus on it or I freak out. Unless I'm in now, 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 and then I'm okay. But here's what I think. I think that every time a human feels a strand of strong emotion towards something, a strand of intentionality, there is an energetic conduit that is created by the human imagination between our experience and the thing we love. Even if the thing we love is something, it's just a bird that flies by the window, and we still love it. That's our capacity to love. And I believe that love, capital L, has the capacity to come through human energy and go to address the things that we have loved. So if you have 
grown and lived and loved, you have made of yourself a conduit for love that has also created millions and millions of moments of connection to other beings. And that if you come home to your own, your integrity, your intactness, your peace, not only does love begin to pour through you, but it pours to the rest of the world through what you have loved, through what you have imagined. And really your job is just to be okay, to stay calm, to stay peaceful, and follow guidance about what to do to, to live your life. And I, I understand there's a very privileged position that I'm speaking from, but I've known people who have no privilege and still they sit in the love of all beings. And they are these incredible conduits of light. So whatever else is going on in your life, I believe that that is our major function in the transformation of consciousness, to drop our illusions of being separate and being in control, to join with the universe as one quantum field of energy and to love this apparently physical planet back to a state of health. What do you do while you're doing that? I don't know, have a sandwich. It's, you know, watch the Olympics. It's fine. It'll all happen because you've already lived it. Okay, Stephanie says, Anita Morjani says we should focus on the internet versus the internet. Do you think we're focusing on a distorted sense of community because we don't recognize that wholeness and expansion, that is within, recognize that wholeness and expansion, that is within? Yeah. Um, I think it's all about how you attach to things or actually don't attach to them. If you can go into a community online and you can hear the different voices talking and feel the energy coming at you and be calm about it, then the internet and the internet are the same thing. You see things, um, one of my favorite moments with Byron Katie, who is one of my favorite enlightened spiritual people, is she said to me one day, kind of a few years ago, she said, right now I don't care about anything but Instagram. <laughs> and I just thought that is so great. She's this, you know, venerable, enlightened older person and she's just like I'm into Instagram pretty much internet and internet can be identical but if the internet is pulling you out of yourself or rocking you from your place of self-love and the love of others if it's making you afraid if it's making you angry go back to the internet get peace within yourself and then be really strong in yourself and go out again and Anita said that when she was here she said she she pulled away from all the the people who were naysayers about her near-death experience. And she was afraid. And then she was like, wait, no, I'm just attracting more of them. And she went back and she doubled down basically and told her story even more clearly and even more boldly because she's talking to the people who want to hear her and not the people who don't want to hear her. So make the internet your internet and everything will be great. Okay, so Cindy says, question, do we have to be with our peeps in order for us to stay the course? This is an interesting question. We do need community, without doubt, we need love, we're social beings, but the idea that these are my peeps and I'm drawing a line around it, that is called othering in social science. And it's a tendency that is, it's present in all higher apes and we are higher apes. And the moment we start to say, these are my peeps, there is the potential for us to say, and you are not my peeps, you are different. We do not have your kind here. We don't have people who vote or look or think like you. Immediately you're out of the consciousness that needs to heal the earth because it's not about othering. That is very much a sense of self, right? And, and separation. 
So what we need is love. We do not need to be with any specific set of peeps. We need to be where love is. And that could look like absolutely anything. And the very place where hatred was yesterday, you could find love today. We don't know. Again, it's don't know mind and be ready to gravitate toward whatever feeds your soul, makes you happy, gives you joy. It's like it's like Marie Kondo says, you know, in her the, the life changing magic of tidying up. All you do is you chuck everything that doesn't spark joy. Chuck everything in your inner life that doesn't spark joy. Chuck every book in your house that doesn't spark joy. Get rid of everything that you're doing to spend time that doesn't spark joy. And people say, well, then we just run roughshod over the earth. And I think the opposite is true. I think we find ourselves when we continuously go toward what sparks our joy. So peeps, eh, eh, sure, joy. Now that's that's what I would go in search of if I were you. Sonia says, how about lack of motivation? It's a pandemic of lost motivation for the normal stuff we run around with. Is it a sign that we're just waiting for something, a thing? I actually think that it stopped us so the thing could happen because what we think is significant, this is what people say when they go to near-death experiences. They go to a, like a movie. A lot of people have this life review. They, I don't know, some people, they hear a loud buzzing noise, then they go through a tunnel, they pop out of their bodies, whatever it is. They meet loving beings, maybe family that's dead. Nobody ever meets a family member who's still alive, but they often will meet with someone else who was killed in the same accident, but they didn't know they're dead, but that's the person they meet on the other side. And um, the people on the other side take them to the light or in varying orders. These are all common elements. And then at some point they get a life review where in three dimensions and all around and all at the same moment, they re-experience everything they experienced as a human being. And what's interesting is that what they thought was important was never, it's not ever important to them then. And the being of light sits with them and it never judges a thing, not a thing. They can be judgmental and say, oh, that was right, that was wrong. And the light always says, you think so? All right. I'll listen. I'm listening. <laughs> the light doesn't disagree with them, but it never judges them either. It always just loves. And so they look back and they think, you know, I was literally this one guy was, I was an Eagle Scout. I had a near death experience in high school, right? So I was captain of the football team. I did, you know, I ran a food drive for the poor people. And the light is like, really, that's what's important, you think? And then he sees himself helping a cat get out of a grate because the cat is stuck in there. And all the things that he achieved in high school pale in comparison with the fact that he stopped his life to get a cat out of a grating. And, you know, you find these moments when you were kind, when you smiled. It's, you, you don't know. We don't know. So when we say we're not doing anything, we're going from a very cultural perspective. And the transformation of consciousness is going to do one thing for sure. And that is, it will take us outside culture. What we think is important will not be what's important. I don't know what will be important, but we'll feel it when it's there. And it's weird. I was asking Jill Bolte-Taylor, how do you decide what to do? And she said, it's like getting a, a hook in you that pulls you by the heart to do something. And you never know what it's going to be. And when I 
was talking to her. She was making stained glass for some reason. And she's like, this is what I'm doing today. And it's all like for the beauty and the glory and the joy of being alive right now. That's what we're meant to do is to is abide in the glory and joy of being alive. So Margot says, how do we communicate to those still grounded in suffering? Stop trying. Honestly, if it takes you out of your own joy, if you feel joyful talking to them and trying to lift them out of suffering, that's fine. But I said to Jill, there are folks that come to the gathering room and they, they ask about suffering and they don't seem to be able to get clear of it. And Jill said, well, did you tell them to suffer more? And I was like, no, I've never told them that. And she said, tell them to suffer more. Tell them to turn up the volume. Because once you realize you're turning up the volume, you realize you've got some level of control in there and it can help people find the dial that will turn it down. And she said, and then just go on being happy, which sounded good to me. I think Jill's pretty damned enlightened, frankly. Um, so Cassia says, oh, this is just tiny. Ah, Kyla says, how do we help our loved ones who are not on the same page and don't understand what we're talking about? We just love them. There was a story about a woman who was a Buddhist nun and she shaved her head and lived in Monk's Roads. And then she went back to Detroit to be with her family and they hated it. And she, they would eat hot dogs. She didn't eat meat. They would drink beer. She didn't drink alcohol. She'd sit there in her robes with her shaven head and they'd be there in their blue jeans and going, what is wrong with you? And she was super proud of herself for being enlightened. And then she went back to Asia and she told her teacher about it. And he said, ooh, bad move. And she was like, what? But I was perfect. And he said, no, 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 just love them. Like, just go have fun with them. So the next holiday, she went home, she put on blue jeans, let her hair stubble grow out. She sat around and joked with them while they ate their hot dogs and drank their beer. And it was wonderful. And she went back and she said to her teacher, um, my relatives hate it when I'm a Buddhist, but they love it when I'm a Buddha. Now, the word Buddha just means awake. And awake just means that we open our eyes to the fact that suffering is illusion and that separate self is illusion and that waiting for something to happen is illusion. And in that moment that all the illusions drop away, in that eternal now, we see that it is happening now. Always, always it is happening now for you, for me, for the whole world. And uh, I can't wait to see what it looks like on the outside. But on the inside, why don't we just go there? I love you guys. I love you so much. And I can't wait to see you again in one more week. Oh, there's a baby. A baby is squealing. Come here, baby. Oh, here. Here's someone with a transformed consciousness. Oh, she's coming. Sorry, I know you guys are. Hi. Oh, boy. That's not good. Bring her over here. Now I promised the folks. Here she comes. Hi, Pookie. Hi. Here's a transformed consciousness for you right here. This is what this is what it's all about, right? Say bye, people. I love you. See you next week on the gathering room.
For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 